You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to Series 10, Episode 27 of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm Good John and this is a Women's Week special. Um, so part one, I am joined by the Spartans Women's Manager, Debbie McCulloch. Debbie, welcome along. Thank you, great to be here. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Um, so just for those who, um, who don't know, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um... Where do I start? I try, I'll try and make it sound as interesting as possible. <laughs> um, uh, no, um, Dan McCall's been involved in the women's game now for around about a 12-year period. Um, always been involved with Spartans Football Club. Um, I had a real passion for football from a very young age. I wasn't probably classified as one of the best players, um, but I always gave 100% on the pitch and um, due to an knee injury that I sustained early on in my football career. first one was when I was 17, um, and that wasn't actually via playing football, it was via playing rugby, um, because I had a, a real passion for sport. I played rugby and volleyball also. Um, I actually um, decided to stop playing football around about the age of 24, 25, because I'd had a third knee operation by then, and I'd obviously moved to Inverness, where women's football wasn't really kind of um, present up north. It was very much central belt football um, back then, and the travel commitment would have been too much with my job. And I've just developed a, a passion for coaching um, after stopping playing and trying to help people progress on and off the pitch. Um, and, you know, that's led me from Dundee United to Ross County to Spartans. And I've been at Spartans now in my role as, um, the business and operations manager at the academy which is a charitable arm of the football club for 12 years and then as a kind of side gig um, being involved with the women's team for that length of time as well. Yeah you've um, certainly um, been at Spartans for a while so how did um, I mean you also mentioned that you went you were Dundee United in Ross County first um, no just tell us a little bit about um, those roles first of all. Yeah I mean when I um, graduated from Aberdeen University um, like many students who graduate, I didn't really know, um, you know, where to get a job. And I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to coach. Um, but trying to get a foot in the door at football clubs is extremely difficult. I'd, throughout my two years at Aberdeen, um, I had worked as a community coach at Dundee United. Um, they weren't in a position then to offer me a full-time coaching role. So I did a part-time coaching role and um, ground staff work for them. Um, so yes, I have cut Tanadice and brushed Gussie Park several times and cut the training pitches at St Andrew University. I would do that kind of Monday to Friday, 8 o'clock till 2 o'clock every day. And then I would coach in the evenings and coach at the weekends um, for their community department. And an opportunity came to, you know, join North County via Roy McGregor. I actually applied for a post as part of their life skills project that they had up there several years ago and um, I never got this post that I applied for but thankfully Roy saw something in me and decided to give me an opportunity and a job there so I moved up there and was there for five years you know working in one of the largest community programs in Scotland delivering mainly children child youth football and um, 
at recreational level in nurseries and primary schools and it was a fantastic place to live. I really enjoyed my five years up there um, and getting to see, you know, parts of Scotland that you might not necessarily ever get to see. Um, and there was a real sense of community up there too. So very fortunate in both those positions. You know, the Dundee United one made me a lot more grounded as a person and made me understand that if I was to be ambitious, I had to work really, really hard to get where I wanted to be and progress as a coach. Ross County for giving me that opportunity and then Spartans for believing me and pushing me on and giving me a route into adult football. Yeah, I mean, you obviously works with kids. I take it it was both boys and girls and how much did you really appreciate that role? Yeah, I was mixed and as I said, it was, you know, I think I'd done around about two and a half years of just doing three and four-year-olds um, and trying to coach them how to play football because there's a, a programme called Nursery Nutmegs at Ross County that we delivered to all the local nurseries. Um, so that was challenging, um, but very enjoyable um, at that young age, very innocent, um, no talking back or anything like that, which is always appreciated. So yeah, it was great. As I said, you know, getting to meet people from all over the kind of highlands and islands and getting to go to places like Shetland and Orkney and Bembecula and and Barra's, it was always a fantastic experience. And just to be able to give people a sense of community via football, which, you know, they're very, very passionate about Ross County. And to be a part of that and delivering that in local communities across the Highlands and Islands was, I always took great pride in that. Um, and, 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 you know, my role did develop into more of the kind of girls' side of things as the girls' programme, you know, obviously. Um, progressed because when I first arrived at Ross County there was obviously the first full-time women's women's team there that in Scotland but it had been disbanded about four weeks after I had arrived and you know there was players like Julie Fleet and Suzanne Grant, Shelley Grant um, who were classed as probably the best players in Scotland at that time playing for Ross County so it was just too early to develop it at that pace unfortunately but you know the girls program progressed that allowed me to gain relationships and links with the you know people down in the central belt with the Scottish Football Association as well which again provided me with opportunities um, on and off the pitch. Yeah that's that's all excellent it's, um, great learning curve um, and well done for um, ke- um, for coaching three and four years because I'm having difficulty ke- um, teaching my five-year-old in the back garden so I can only <laughs> imagine you need the patience of a saint sometimes. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah but you've obviously moved into uh, Adult football, as you say now, um, 12 years ago you moved to Spartans. I believe that they had just pretty much taken over from an old Edinburgh team. Um, how did the move come about? Yeah, I think obviously with the um, academy opening its doors here, the football club, the missing part that they had was um, a women's team. Um, and Craig Graham, our chairman, and Douglas Samuel, our chief executive, had met um, Walter and Carson who I think were, were running Edinburgh Ladies at the time, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. and asked them about merging and becoming Spartans. And it was a fantastic opportunity for them too because they've got this fantastic facility to train out of and play from. Um, so that's how that came about. And then, obviously, um, they recruited Shelley Kerr to take the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had arrived in my capacity as football development officer back then for the academy and I knew Shelley well, we were good friends um, and yeah, just things went from strength to strength and you know, 
that first season, the team were very lucky not to beat Glasgow City um, for the league title. I went to the very last game, Spartans versus Glasgow City. I can't remember what the score was. I think Glasgow City maybe 1-2-1 or 3-1. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and since then, Spartans has always been competing in the top level of SWPL football. Yeah, they've been doing um, very well. And uh, you, you mentioned Shelley. Um, sh- she's obviously gone on to become the national team um, manager. Um, could you see from that that early stages that she was going to make it to a top level? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I knew Shelley um, before her time at Spartans and you could see that she had that ambition and desire to make it to the very top and also the knowledge and experience. Um, you know, and that's why, like, you know, when she asked me to be assistant at Spartans, I jumped at the chance because I knew it'd be a fantastic learning opportunity for myself um, to learn from her as a coach, but also as a player because she was still playing then too. Um, so it, it was a brilliant opportunity um, and, and one I'm very grateful for. And I think, you know, Shelley has went on to prove a lot of people wrong um, and a lot of people have maybe questioned you know, her being involved in men's football um, and has done excellent and has done a fantastic job, you know, leading us to our first World Cup um, and has done a fantastic job in the, in the qualifiers right now. So I have never had any doubt that Shelley succeeds. Um, she's she's very ambitious. She's very hardworking and, and has a, a real desire to do well, not only for herself, but also for the teams that she manages and that she leads. Yeah, and she's. I know she's had a, a stint in men's football, um, Lowland League level with Stirling Uni. Um, but can you see her after she eventually leaves Scotland, taking on a similar role at one of the senior clubs in Scotland one day? Absolutely, it's just going. To, it's just going to take a, a chairman or a chairwoman that has, you know, the belief that a female can do the job just as well as a as a male coach. And you know, people might see that as a gamble. I, I don't really see that as being a gamble and certainly not in Shelley's case. And I don't think they would have to be brave to do it because I think the quality that someone like Shelley or other female coaches that can bring to the men's game can actually be held in a higher regard to what is actually being delivered right now. Um, it's just a, a point of view and a mindset that needs to be changed. And I think we can see progression in that. And I think, you know, Clubs need to look at the bigger picture and have a, a, an open mindset to that. Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Um, I mean, you don't even see like, a female coach or a female assistant um, manager at, um, in the men's game just now, which I think it's severely lacking. But even in the women's game just now, you're one of, in, in the two SP, SWPL leagues, you're one of only three Man, um, female managers, the rest are all male. Now, I get that she, um, Leanne Crichton made the point that um, when we spoke to her that she wouldn't swap Scott Booth for anyone. Um, but, you know, and it, sh- and it shouldn't be a tick box exercise, but at the same point, there should be more opportunities for female coaches to come through. But if it's not really happening in the women's game, it's going to be harder to, for that to be happening in the, the senior men's game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to look past the sex of an individual, you know, I, I think that's really important. Um, I don't think that should be, you know, seen as being a weaker application than, you know, than any other application, what sex you are. So I think we need to put that to one side, but it's a mindset and it's a cultural change. And unfortunately, in, in, in men's football, particularly in Scotland, there's still that old fashioned guard and mindset in place where that, you know, women aren't respected within the game. 
Um, and I think, you know, people need to be honest about that instead of just trying to kind of like paint over the cracks. Um, and I think hopefully female coaches like myself and Emma at Aberdeen, you know, can hopefully try and lead the way in changing that. Um, and, and I, you know, as much as we talk about female coaches, I don't want to discriminate against male coaches because yeah. then I think you just become as bad as the people that are doing it against females. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's advantages to females being in charge of um, female players. I think mm-hmm. that you, you can, if you utilize, utilize those advantages well, then it can work in your favor. And I think obviously you have a, a better understanding of things like menstrual cycles and, and, and emotions that females maybe don't necessarily feel the same way as men and that they've got different maps of the world. So there is that there, but at the end of the day, you should be based on your capabilities on and off the pitch and what your philosophy is and how you lead a team, um, not by what, what sex you are. No, I, t- I totally agree. And times need to, to change. And even the coverage of the women's games, it's getting better. Um, and I'll be honest, also from our side, we're trying to do more to, pr- to promote the women's game as best as we can. Um, but the mainstream media is getting slightly better, but there's still some things that I think the women's game doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Like when the senior men's game, um, the chairman were all um, making childish statements over the league reconstruction, etc. The women's game during lockdown was completely ignored until the decision was made over um, null and void in the season, which I thought was, personally, was pretty disgraceful. Not the null and void decision, just the fact that you hardly get coverage. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the clubs in SWPL1 and SWPL2 put in so much graft to promote themselves and promote the players and promote the facilities and, uh, and the infrastructures that they have in place. And I think as much as the likes of BBC Sports Scotland and BBC Alba are, you know, really kind of pushing forward in terms of their coverage and their promotion of the game, which is fantastic, you know, you, you still just get that wee corner in the newspaper and, you know, or the, the odd article. And I think more has to be done with that. But I think the clubs can then hopefully put pressure on the mainstream media to try and expand the coverage. But whether they listen to us or not, I don't know. But we certainly have, you know, a core fan base here at Spartans and as well other clubs that we know that we've got a duty to be able to share with them what's happening, you know, what our goals are and share with them the experience that we have and not become insular and forget about them. Um, But, you know, compared to 10 years ago, it's night and day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's no doubt that it's it's changing for the better and the fact that Scotland have been in the last two major tournaments certainly helps as well. So the more that keeps growing, the better for um, football in our country, without question. Um, so going back to your um, role at Spartans, um, you've been head coach since 2010, I believe. Um, and was it just I, a case I of... I had a wee gap. Yeah. I, had, I had a wee break of about a year and a half <laughs> just to get myself uh, recovered, I think, and refueled. All right. What was the gap for? I'm asking. I just, I, I just decided. Um, you know, I think it was after six or seven years being in charge. Um, I wanted to get my life and work balance, um, better balanced. I'd made a promise to my family that after moving down from Inverness, I'd spend more time with them. And uh, if anything, the complete opposite happened when I started at Spartan. Um, because I, I, you know, I fell in love with the club, and uh, and I've always loved football and been involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team was in a really, really good place. 
and you know I think sometimes that doesn't happen very often in football and you know I felt that it was the right time for me just to take a step back and 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 put myself in the background where I could help progress the girls academy and the coaches and have a wee bit more of a kind of um a role that was that was in the background um and then you know things unfortunately didn't particularly work out as we'd hoped and you know I was asked to kind of come back in and try and um avoid relegation in that year and I'm still here yeah, good stuff. Um, in your in your initial spell, um, fairly successful. Um, runners up in the league in 2011, but to be fair, Glasgow City won every game, so there wasn't much you could do that season. Yeah. Um, four consecutive League Cup finals and a Scottish Cup final. Um, you're a little little disappointed that you didn't quite get the silverware. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was asked um, a couple of weeks ago if I had any regrets in football, and I c- and I couldn't think of any at the time because I was put on the spot. And I think um, that probably is the only regret that I have um, is not winning one of them. But then again, I look at it and I think back to the journey that we had getting to those finals and how special that was, you know, because there was a couple of times that we had Hibs in the semi-finals, and, you know, everybody had written us off. No way Spartans are winning, you know, it'll be Hibs. And we won them, and moments like that will stay with me forever because, you know, sometimes it's not actually about just winning that trophy at the end of the day, even though that, that would be magnificent and a great achievement for our club. And the journey, looking back on it, meant the most to me. So, but yeah, silverware would be nice. Yeah, definitely. But uh, as you say, it's a difficult feel for for Spartans with, um, with all due respect, because you've also got Glasgow City who have been so dominant. Hibs have been very good in the cup competitions. Celtic and Rangers are starting to put more money towards it. They're going more full time. How difficult is it going to be for um, for Spartans to try and push into that that top four? Because the way I'm looking, I'm only speaking from an outsider's perspective. I see the top four, th- those four clubs, as a good bit apart from the ones in the bottom four. Currently, yes, but I, I don't think um, I don't think it will stay like that for very long. I think with the league expanding to ten teams, mm-hmm. I think that will make it more competitive, yeah. and it will also, you know, make teams want to try and, and compete and invest. And here at Spartans, we certainly recognise that we can't stay in the same place. Um, so we've made some changes to the club structure that will hopefully actually be um, kind of signed off. Um, you know, very shortly that allows greater investment to the club, um, because previously the club was a was a voting members set up, um, and we went down the route of changing to to offering shares out now. So that would be for the men and the women's team that would allow us to invest slightly more and be able to attract greater income levels via those shares. Um, so we understand we can't stand still. We've got to keep up. Um, like I think on the pitch with the team that we've got in the last three games, we went toe-to-toe with three teams that are could class themselves as professional. And at the end of the day, it's 11 players on the pitch. Um, and, you know, if we can meet them toe-to-toe physically and also prepare ourselves well tactically, um, which I think we've done in the last, uh, three games then there's no reason for us not to be able to compete money talks mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it um, but you know as I said I think in a previous interview 
a lot of the players that are, are that are part of these professional clubs are the same players that we were playing last year um, or have played previously. Um, so I think until the league goes to a level like the league down south has, where it's international players that are joining our league and top, top, top quality players, then, you know, that gap might not be as big as people actually perceive it to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the three games that you played, um, it was very narrow defeats. You know, two went to Hibs, one out to Rangers, one out to Celtic. So you're very much in those games, um, but just need maybe a little bit more quality or, or luck on the day, and you might well have been sitting with nine out of nine as opposed to zero out of nine. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of things for me. The Hibs game, we lose two goals from set pieces, um, which is avoidable. We lose the Rangers game due to an offside goal. We lose the Celtic game due to, yeah, a couple of our errors, but a wee bit of luck and a wee bit of a freaky goal. Um, So for me, looking at those four goals that have been scored against us, they weren't necessarily our fault, but it was things that we needed to learn from. And we've actually learned from them because we've seen that progression in training and in the previous two games. I think, you know, where our issue is right now is, is that we need to start taking our chances. So we'll work hard on that in the training ground and make sure that, you know, we're prepared for this weekend's game against Forfar, which, and no disrespect to Forfar, we're probably expected to win. So that changes potentially our mindset. But one thing it certainly won't change is the intensity in which we play at. Yeah, definitely. And that Forfar game, they've won two games, but then two of their games have been in that almost many section of the four teams in the bottom half um, and they have a defender who's the top scorer with six goals this season so it's it's not going it's not going to be easy because they'll probably have similar aspirations to yourselves that um, you'll be away from looking to be pushing towards that top four if possible absolutely I mean it won't be the same four for team that you know we played back in 2019 the last time that we, we played each other um, it'll be a very very different team they've recruited a lot of players um, I've, you know, their style of football is obviously very direct and if they're scoring goals from set pieces and, you know, throw-ins and free kicks, etc., then that's going to give them confidence, there's no doubt about that um, but you know, I believe in our squad and I believe in what we're trying to achieve in our style of play and I think we've got a lot of variation to our style of play that can, you know, almost make it difficult for teams to potentially plan to play against us um, and we've also got a lot of belief in the squad right now um, even though we haven't got any points on the board you know still to play you know three out of the four that would be classified as the top four and only concede four goals and score one you know there's no other teams that are in that bottom three that have been able to do that yet. Yeah definitely because um, like four for lost eight to um, to Glasgow City um Mother and Hearts have had a, like Hearts have had a couple of big beatings off them, so you're definitely been a wee bit more competitive so far. Um, I know that one of your um, your biggest victory was against Four Far Sixteen Nothing. I doubt that will happen this weekend, but how much would you love that? I I, I hope to never see scores like that in our league. Do you know I mean I don't think I it paints a pretty picture, um, and I certainly don't like beating teams um, by high scores. We want all our games to be competitive. Um, we want to make sure that we've had to work hard um, for any wins that we achieve. Um, and, and, and I don't perceive that that will be the outcome this weekend. I think it will be an extremely tough game. 
as I said, for all come here with a lot of belief um, and confidence, and they might feel that we are lacking confidence because we've not won any games. But you know, I think that we've been be naive of them, um, because certainly from my last three performances, we've came away disappointed that we've not got anything out of them. But we've came away with a hell of a lot of confidence in terms of how we've played, our physicality in games, our shape and our structure. And, um, you know, we'll iron out any small issues that we feel we, we need to iron out over the course of this week at training. Yeah. And in terms of uh, assessing the opposition, it would have been a bit different when you first came in as manager because highlights were very, would have been very difficult to get hold of. It's a little bit more accessible now that most things are on YouTube and on the um, official Scottish Women's Premier League website. Um, so, you know, how much work goes into assessing their strengths and weaknesses? A lot of work and a lot more work than 10 years ago, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, we analyse our opponent as best we possibly can, but we also look to analyse ourselves well, too, which I think is really important. And, and we are focused on us. Um, we have a good idea of, of how far I like to play and where their strengths and weaknesses are, whether it's individual players or collective players um, or collective units. And I think, you know, yeah, you have to study that and you have to watch teams to be able to give your team the best opportunity to prepare them for what's ultimately every single week going to be really, really close games. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure it'll be a, a good game, but um, the one thing it'll be lacking um, is crowds. And I know it's easy to say from the outside that women's football probably doesn't get a lot of crowds anyway. So from a player's perspective, they won't feel that much of a difference. But I'm sure you will really notice it when you look out there and it must make your heart sink seeing there's no fans able to come and watch it. Yeah, no, I think, you know, the longer it goes on, um, you know, the harder it is. I think, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I miss, you know, the parents seeing, seeing and, their, and the families seeing their loved one play football and them doing something love and something they love and, and to get the opportunity to support them. I really miss that. Um, and I miss seeing the, the same old familiar faces. Yes, okay, we might not get huge crowds, but you know, towards like the start of the season, that was um, obviously null and void. Um, you know, we were maybe getting on average maybe around about seventy-five to hundred people coming to all our games, and depending on the op- opposition, it probably would have been more. So I felt really on the back of the World Cup, interest in the game and people coming along and watching and supporting has increased dramatically from our point of view, you know, even from running a facility point of view, I could notice it um, in terms of the infrastructures we were having to put in place to be able to deal with more people coming along and watching. So, yeah, I feel I feel for the players, you know, I, I feel for them specifically that, that you know, that, that their parents and their loved ones or their partners and their friends can't come along and support them because I know that that support can have a real impact on on someone on the pitch, and yeah, we we would um, be delighted if even a small amount were allowed in to watch, even if it just was kind of family members only. It would be great for everybody. Um, but the players have adapted really well, and we spoke about that when we returned from lockdown. That the teams that will adapt to that situation will be the teams that I think will be the most successful this season. Um, and it's just like everything after the first time you do it you kind of get used to it and I think you know once supporters are allowed back in we'll have to get used to that side of things 
Yeah, I, I think I speak for most people. I say I hope it's the latter that you get used to a bit more um, sooner rather than later. Um, I mean, you mentioned 75 to 100 people. I mean, right now Ross County are able to play games because they're in Tier One in front of 300 fans. So um, if Edinburgh, um, if the Edinburgh Lothian region went into Tier One, you could have a capacity crowd at your game. Yeah, I mean the thing is though is that like we've obviously got a five hundred and four seater stand and, and we socially distanced that fairly early on. Um and out of that five hundred and four you can only fit I think it's fifty seven people. Um but obviously we've got the ground space, we're building a new stand as well across the other side of the pitch that'll hold around about hundred and seventy five seats. Um so when that's completed, that will give us a wee bit more capacity. But yeah, I mean, we would be able to, like, you know, hold 100, absolutely no problem. And and for me, you know, as long as everyone remains socially distant and it's outside, I, I, I don't really see what the big issue is. However, I do respect, you know, when people travel, it then, it then doesn't mitigate the risk as much. And, you know, if people don't socially distance, then obviously you've got an issue and, yeah, so, but I think we've got to the stage now that it's been such a long period of time that I, I would certainly trust the family of my players to come along and adhere to the guidelines and rules. Um, so hopefully, you know, things seem to be getting a wee bit better with, with the new infections kind of levelling off and hopefully the restrictions that everyone's been abiding by you know, will allow fans to return. I'm just particularly proud of our players and our club in terms of everything that's been put in place to make sure that this is a COVID-secure environment and facility and also the players adhering because, you know, we're very fortunate that we get to still kick a ball um, at under-19s, you know, return last night and they're socially distancing, you know, on the half-pitch next to us and it takes us back to June when we were having to do that in groups of four to one coach and as much as it was enjoyable getting that back on the pitch after four weeks of it, it, was, it wasn't as enjoyable and I think that is one of the main things right now. You've got to try and make football as enjoyable as possible um, because there has been periods over the last like six months that haven't been particularly enjoyable. Um, yeah. So focusing on that is, is, is a really high priority for me right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've obviously touched on when you returned, but the initial three months um, from the 13th of March when football was shut down um, in Scotland, that must have been um, a nightmare to manage at that point. How did you guys cope, or girls cope, sorry? Yeah, I mean, we had quite a strategic approach to it. I knew that, or I, well, I didn't hope, but I knew that it wasn't going to be a quick fix. So once we went into lockdown, we gave the players a couple of weeks off um, just to get their heads around things. And the support was still there for them if they wanted it. But I knew that everyone was dealing with different things and we had to respect that and appreciate it. There was you know, a sense of panic across the nation around about this pandemic. Um, and then we built it up gradually and we were doing Zoom sessions on the times and the nights that we normally train at. Um, but then we had to manage kind of soft tissue injuries that you were picking up because obviously you were doing a lot of repetitive actions and a lot of kind of body weight resistance work. Um, and then, you know, we knew that we got given the green light that we could return to groups of four to one coach and I think I said in a previous interview that I, I remember sitting on the Saturday night and thinking, can we make this happen? And, and because the amount of work that I had to go in to make sure that safety was of paramount importance for the players and staff, 
um, was 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 quite frightening um, at one point. But we got there and we managed to do it. And it's just like riding a bike. Once you've done it once, you know, everybody kind of like just falls into line and understands everything that's required. And we're so fortunate here that we have this facility and that we own it and that we can, you know, do what we want to do that suits us best. I know that a lot of clubs aren't as fortunate as that. And, you know, that must be absolute murder for them and extremely difficult. Um, so, yeah, we were we were... We made sure we didn't kind of like overwhelm the players. I felt that was really important because some of them have been through difficult times over the last six months. And, you know, it's such an unusual situation for so many of us not to have football in our lives and not to be seeing each other as well. You know, and it still is a wee bit unusual and enjoyable in some aspects in terms of you don't have that changing in banter and that kind of like closeness as, as a team, but you just have to adapt and put new things in place you know like last night we were doing video analysis outside and we had the projector outside like onto like a kind of white sheet hanging over over the turnstiles to be able to get the players to to see clearly what you know kind of the scenarios we wanted to work on so you know and that brings its own last and enjoyment you know so it's um yeah adapting and just trying to keep positive has been the most important thing yeah, anyone who was driving outside the grounds at that point must have been thinking it was a drive-in movie. Um, so at that yeah. point, but, um, but no, it may, um, mental health is obviously a big thing. Um, you know, we 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 did we were hoping to do a, a game for back on side last year, but it got cancelled twelve days before um, the game was due to take place because of the whole COVID situation. Um, I mean, from your perspective, from mental health point of view, you know, just how important is it that you know that. You just let the play, let the players come talk to you. Yeah, I've always had an open door policy um, with my players, and, and maybe in, on some occasions it's been too open. I think, um, but you know that's where football is really important in people's lives, and you have to remember that it's not just on the pitch; it's off the pitch too. Um, and I think I've always been the type of coach and the type of leader to make sure that I, you know. I've always got a listening ear available to anybody, regardless of what the situation is. It won't be judged. Um, and to try and put support and coping strategies in place to be able to help players off the pitch because it has been a tough period and, and I've had to deal with tough situations in the past as well. And I think, you know, getting away from this kind of mindset where it's just like man up and get on with it. It, that's that's not acceptable and nor should it be it should never have been acceptable you know um it's okay not to be okay and i think it's it's really important that people speak about it and i've always asked my staff to be of exactly the same mindset um that you know we care for our players first and foremost and then we make sure we look after them on and off the pitch and you know one of the greatest additions i think to clubs across football is you know is the chaplain um, structure that's been put in place. You know we've we've got two chaplains here within our women's team because Jude, our chaplain, she went on maternity leave, and and Mel that came in to fill in has just stayed on, and they're both fantastic. They're fantastic support to myself, but they're fantastic support to the players because they they're just there to listen and help, and they're not interested in the football side of things. Um, they're interested in the players' welfare and making sure that everybody's feeling okay inside and out. And if they're not, then they can provide the support and the expertise to be able to hopefully try and help players that are maybe suffering from mental health problems. So, 
Yeah, I, I think it's so important. Actually, this morning we've all just been on a mental health first aid course. And the staff here at the academy were doing it over the next four weeks, every single Tuesday. Um, and it certainly opens your eyes and gets you thinking about how you might want to deal with different scenarios um, as a coach, but just actually as a person too. Yeah, we talk about a lot of stigmas in football that are still there, but thankfully mental health is one that's evolving. We're not at the, the, the finish line yet by any stretch of imagination, but I think the um, the progression of how we deal with mental health in football has certainly moved on a great deal from like 20, 30 years ago, without doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even growing up, you know, it, it was all about resilience um, back in my time. Um, and uh, and I think like nowadays we're selling into social media and the, and the pressures people have um, due to maybe, you know, having a full-time job, a part-time job, just be able to make ends meet. Um, it, it, it's hard. It's different. And if you don't evolve through these different kind of, you know, cultures and, and changes to society, then you stay in a very rigid place. And I think, you know, it, it, it's me, you know, I always remember people saying, oh, not back in my time, it was like this, or back then it was like this. You, you, can't, you can't live in the past. No. You have to evolve and grow. And, um, and I think a lot more people through things like Mental Health First Aid Course and also the work that, you know, and loads of organisations are doing to profile it and also offer additional support, then that can only maybe hopefully change mindsets and turn heads slightly for people to maybe think about things differently. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, you know, good luck with that mental mental health um, awareness course, I'm sure. Um, that'll give you a wee refresher, without a doubt. Um, come back to, um, just round off this um, podcast where I can. So um, the... Your aspirations for season um, for Spartans, you know, what are the main ambitions? Is it to try and win a trophy or is it to push us into the top four or close to the top four? Yeah, we want to push into the top four um, or be as close to it as we possibly can. Um, we're not going to be unrealistic. There's no point. Um, you have to have a reality about your goals. But we have aspirations. Um, I think obviously the Scottish Cup isn't going ahead this season just due to a lack of dates in terms of trying to schedule in the season, um, which is a wee bit disappointing because that's always quite an exciting cup to play in. But then with the League Cup being um, restructured into group stages and then into kind of final final end games, like that's exciting too. So yeah. yeah, like, you know, we are always optimistic. We are ambitious. We want to achieve. We don't want to underachieve. So we'll, as I said, we'll be realistic within our goals. Um, but we'll be certainly pushing on um, because, as I mentioned before, you stand still, you're going to get left behind. Um, so it's really important to us as a club that we progress, that we challenge the players, we make it a competitive environment, we make it a learning environment where we're not looking for perfection, that we understand mistakes will happen. Um, and, yeah, we, I think the future um, it looks really good for us at the moment. Yeah, and I've seen a couple of your players have tweeted that they've been in part of um, Scotland under-19s and under-17 squad, so that bodes well for the future, and hopefully Spartans get a player that push into the Scotland squad as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes Spartans isn't an attractive opportunity for some of the more experienced players. Um, that's just my own opinion, and um, you would have to ask some of the experienced players if that is their opinion or not. So when I came back in um, around about a year and a half ago or two years ago, 
actually thought, well, we need to recruit the best players, the best youth players. Um, and a lot of coaches would see that as potentially being a gamble because, you know, they would think that they're more likely to make a mistake because they don't have the experience. I actually seen it as an opportunity. And I'm really proud of the players like Michaela McElhoney, Rob McCafferty, Alicia Yates, Callie Gibbs, Alina Santino-Brown, who have all represented Scotland at 19s or 17s level. Um, and I've, I've really pushed on and grown within their roles within our squad. Um, so, yeah, it always makes me proud to see them represent their country, but I also know what they bring at club level too, and I think it's a win-win situation for us. Yeah, without a doubt, and um, hope that hope that grows, and uh, you know, as I say, um, hope the season goes well for for you. But just um, to round off with a few quick fire questions, there, if you don't mind, this won't take long. Um, so, first of all, um, what's your favourite tipple? Beer. Um, I don't. I don't really drink any spirits. Yeah. Um, I'm not really into that. I just kind of say a kind of. A Peroni, or I have been known that I, I do like Kenneth Lager, which isn't probably kind of <laughs> the end beer nowadays or the most fashionable, but uh, maybe I'm just getting older. <laughs> Peroni's a good choice, to be fair. Um, um, what, what's your favourite podcast to listen to, apart from this one, of course? <laughs> um, I, do you know what? I, I need to spend more time listening to podcasts um, because I, I honestly, I was just actually having that conversation with uh, Douglas Samuel, our chief executive at lunch there, that I need to start listening to more. Um, but I always give um, Leading the Line a listen um, and, and podcasts that are, you know, associated to um, women's football. Um, I generally like to read a lot more. Um, like I like enjoying the athletic, etc. And, and, and journalism like that. Excellent. What's your favourite movie? Favourite movie has to be, oh, goodness. I'm not very good at these quick fire questions because <laughs> I, I have to think about... Um, we might name it slow fire questions. <laughs> yes, I uh-huh. um, Probably my favourite movie is, I would say, Shawshank Redemption. That's a good choice. Do you know that's that's been out for so long? I only watched it for the first time last year. Oh really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my life passed by without me watching that movie. It's a great movie. Um, with the guys, what's your, what's your best game as a manager? Uh, beating Glasgow City one 0 um, and being the first team in the league to do so in six years. You know nice. that was a really a really special moment for me. I think. You know we went in as underdogs in that game as you always do against Glasgow City, and and we performed so well that day and, and came away from the win, win and that was a yeah, real magic moment for me. Oh, fantastic. Um, who's the best player that you saw in the flesh? Uh, Zidane. Uh, I watched Zidane in the Champions League final at Hampden Park. Oh, you um, lucky sword getting when, the ticket for that. <laughs> when, he, when he scored um, that wonderful goal from just outside the box. So yeah, probably Zidane, I would say. Nice. And from a women's perspective? From a women's perspective, oh, I'm trying to think in the flesh. I've watched so many women's games because I've had so many different opportunities to go to different countries to watch um, different players. I'd have to have a longer think about that. There's too many rattling through my head right now. But, I mean, I always enjoy watching the Scotland players like Kim Little and Evan Cuthbert. You know, they're just fantastic to watch. 
Um, and also, you know, I was lucky enough that I, I went to Nice in the World Cup and, and watched Scotland play England. Um, and, you know, England have obviously got some top players there too that, I, that you know, are fantastic to watch also. Excellent. And, um, yeah, thank, that's, the, that's all the questions I've got for you. Um, so, no, okay, thanks great. very much for your time, Debbie, and uh, good luck for the, the season ahead. Thank you very much. Very enjoyable speaking to you, John. Thanks. Take care, Debbie.